Just past 7 o'clock, getting ready to rock and roll for you. It's time for Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Big show on tap for you tonight. Ira not in the studio, unfortunately, but doesn't mean we can't do a great show over the phone. Ira, you're out of town, and good reason for that. You took in an event that you were slightly disappointed in. Uh, what's the NBA draft? I mean, we're, we, just as NBA news is breaking, I mean, just, just a second ago, Kyle Lowry to the heat, and Duncan Robinson resigns at five-year, $90 million. So people were out there shooting three-point shots. That's what you have to do. You can get a five-year, $90 million contract to the heat. Uh, and maybe Jimmy Butler is going to sign a four-year, $184 million deal. But I was at the NBA draft, and it's not. it was unfortunately, I think, because of the COVID and other reasons, just not the type of draft. I've been at 10 drafts before. It was by far the worst. Uh, there were very few, uh, besides the 18 people, there was just 18 people on, uh, that were in the green room that were on the floor. But there was, it, usually there's 60 draft choices. 45 of them were there. So by the middle of the first round, nobody was being called up. Uh, it was just, and the draft took forever. Anyone who watched the draft on TV, I know they're watching Olympics. It just, it was the longest draft. It was like one of those fantasy drafts that people think about. Like you start out, you're like, you'll be done by nine, and you're just like 10:30, and you're in the seventh round, and people are ordering the pizza and whatever. It just, it just the draft just dragged on. Uh, so unfortunately, I was excited. I was so excited for it because I really, I, mean, I usually get good guests because the draft picks that are not in the green room are sitting around in the section that I get tickets for. There's nobody in there. I couldn't get any, you know, really good other people to get you know any guests on talk to people there was very few like agents there just not a really good sorry a bad night yeah and it's funny because you've gotten you met a lot of people through the drafts this was just not the case this time i was really hoping you're gonna have like Cade cunningham coming on the show this week but just wasn't that in the cards but we do have an excellent guest it's dave parker pirates legend tell us about dave he's gonna come on about uh, 740 not much more to say, but the fact that he was part of one of the great Pittsburgh Pirates World Championship teams. He was an MVP of the National League. He's also the hitting champion in the National League. Uh, someone who should be in the Hall of Fame, who's not from other reasons. We did the interview a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm so glad we got him on the show. His book called Cobra is a great read. and But uh, really an all-time great baseball player. And not just offensively, I mean, the most iconic moment from the All-Star game is in Seattle and throwing in the, uh, the uh, you know, with two uh, just straight throws from right field, uh, getting a runners out at home plate. Just an amazing arm in defense, defensive player that was great, and also and, and, and a single center and home runs. It really did everything. It was a five-tool player. All right, Ira, let's get right into it. Olympics are in full swing. It's going by so fast. Let's talk basketball. Um, do you want to talk basketball first, or do you want to talk uh, gymnastics? Oh, no, we can go right to gymnastics. Yeah, let's just go to, let's go to gymnastics in terms of that was what we had Dan Wetzel on last week. And Dan Wetzel, we talked about the whole thing with Simone Biles, Simone Biles, Simone Biles. And then Simone decides to not compete. Uh, she was, for mental reasons, because she, went, she competed in the vault. In the, in the team competition, she did, performed a vault that was not up to her standards at all. To, and then she just pulled herself out of the entire team competition. And Gretchen McCollum, Suni Lee, and Jordan Childs, they, you're supposed to have four uh, athletes. They were able to actually compete by just using the three. 
and they ended up with the silver going against uh, a silver medal. The Russians had the gold, but just a great performance when with these three gymnasts that were called into duty at the you know in terms of you know Jordan uh, Jordan Childs and Gretchen were doing exercises they weren't planning to because Simone was going to do everything, uh, but just an amazing performance to get the silver. And then the whole week was uh, should you know what about Simone and about why she wasn't in and the mental and and those aspects. And and I'm not here to. To blast Simone Biles, look, she she's uh, she's earned, uh, she's won all the gold medals. She's been a world champion. I, I think there is this idea that they called her the goat. I mean, there has been other gymnasts that have had. Uh, there was a gymnast from Russia years ago that had won two gold medals, won the world championship between, and then a silver medal. So she went almost twelve years of two golds and a silver and world champions through. I, again, we're throwing this goat, you know, the greatest of all time. I said it on the last show. I, I think people assume she was made the goat because she won all the medals in this Olympic. I don't. I think it's again with some of these. Even Katie Ledecky, she's the goat. Well, Jenny Thompson won more medals and gold medals than her. It's. I think throwing out this, it, people just call she's the goat, but not even mentioning who we're comparing her to. Um, but I'm not really ready to criticize uh, Simone Biles for for. I mean, we, and, but I think what I am is. The point is that they say she's the first person to highlight mental issues and the stress and everything. Well, that's what sports is about. I mean, when the first race in Greece 100 years ago, when they ran from to marathon, there was a mental. Everything is about mental. When one athlete is trying to physically outperform, mentally outperform. And, and we've had this. I mean, Roberto Duran fought Sugar Ray Leonard, and Roberto Duran was hand to stones with the toughest fighters in the world. In the middle of the fight, he just said, I don't want to fight anymore. No moss, no moss. So we've had athletes have stepped away, athletes that want to perform. Um, I think that the issue I have with the team is that they said they had to bring in a psychologist and work with her. I mean, but every star athlete has their own psychologist. I mean, it seems to be part of the entire uh, repertoire of what they have in terms of a trainer and a physio and all this other stuff. I, I just think that considering that you know, this is a Olympic team, the stress it's under, not to have their own psychologist to work with if a team like that was the case. They didn't have one, which I, I find surprising. I also don't think Simone should have been on social media. I mean, she pulls out and then she's on social media. Again, she feels this goes, I feel so much pressure. Well, get off social media. I mean, LeBron made the comment. She used to say, it's playoff LeBron. I'm off of social media. Do they believe it? Maybe, maybe not. But again, when you're on social media, you're tweeting, you're Instagramming, you're this, you're that, you know, just stay off it. Listen to music. Just get in a zone. And that was probably something. And I think she... She seemed in her comments to say the weight of the world's on her, the weight of this. I mean, there's thousands of other athletes. There's 800 other American athletes. Like, like I think it was too much. She's wearing this jacket that says the goat on it. I, I think she put a lot of pressure on herself. I think her coaching was – I think the coaches did help her. I mean, I think this is where a coach comes in and you say, look, it's not – you know, sort of you know, work with her in terms of taking that away. And I know she's a great – you know, this great gymnast and everything. But that's where coaching comes in, setting up the atmosphere for everything. And, uh, you know, I just think it was, it, was, it was a sad situation that she wasn't able to have this great Olympics. And she's, you know, getting her mind in order. And now it looks like she's going to compete uh, on the balance beam at 4.30 this morning. So she, she – she did not compete in the all uneven bars, the floor exercises, the vault, or the all-around competition. But this one, now she says she's ready to compete in the balance beam. But uh, um, uh, the, the credit goes out to Suni Lee. Suni Lee steps up there. She wins the all-around gold. She then won the bronze in the uneven bars. So the all-around is the, the, the number one thing that she wins. And Suni Lee was a, an amazing performance. She went into the final event, and I was like flying to the draft. 
and I'm on the plane. I'm before I'm like at the airport. I almost missed my plane. I'm watching, and she was second place going into the floor exercises uh, against uh, uh, second place in, in, in the floor exercises, and she then was able. And the person who had the, was chance for the gold medal, uh, Andrade, I think was her name. She uh, that was her that was her specialty, and Sydney Lee's specialty was not the floor exercises, but she fell. Andrade fell a bunch of times from Jamaica, fell a couple times, and or not fell, but stepped out of bounds. Sunil Lee had a perfect routine, was able to pass her and win the all-around, which is great, uh, you know, for, for, for Suni. And then uh, Jay Carey just won the gold in the floor exercises. Jay Carey was not even on the team because the way she did, she had to qualify sort of as a person on her own, competing in all these world championships. She wasn't even part of the team. And then Michaela Skinner, who took Biles' place in the vault, was able to, to uh, get the silver. And I think there's a whole question about how this team was set up, who they selected. Um, they still got the silver, but they probably could have uh, uh, got the gold if they knew that Simone wasn't ready to do it and compete. Uh, but it was uh, it was just, I mean, certainly gymnastics is the key component. People are watching it. We talked, you know, Simone Biles, uh, Dan Wetzel talked about Simone last week on the show. Um, but it was uh, it was sort of definitely a lot of stories back and forth. So, so Ira, I find it interesting. You know, you brought up a good point talking about the social media aspect of this whole you know thing that we've been going through for the last week or so. And you know, it's kind of like um, you know Silver in the NBA saying the league is a bunch of of uh, you know depressed billionaires. Maybe part of that is because Kevin Durant spends his time fighting with people on Twitter. Like anyone who has a Twitter account, Kevin Durant will fight with you all night. It's it can't be good to be wrapping that in when we're discussing mental health and these people needing to focus. So maybe they should lean off this a little bit. I, it's it's beyond belief. I mean, when I saw the next day, I'm thinking we're not going to hear anything, and then we see Twitter the all day with it. And I guess when you're on Twitter, like I, you you didn't. I mean, you athletes used to reform in a bubble, and people you could hear the fans and certainly saying stuff, and people were making comments. But it wasn't like a comment, but you can focus in a certain way. But I think social media, to be reading the social media, to be involved in the social media, and, and to be going back and forth with fans and reading what people are writing, and, and it's like everybody's a journalist, everybody's this and everybody's that, and everybody's talking about it. And I think that these athletes, you, you have to be in, a, in, the, in the right frame of mind. And I just was shocked. I mean, the day after she pulled out, I'm like, we're not going to hear anything from her. They would just maybe issue a statement. She gave an interview. But then she's going tweeting, and she's on it. Like, what is she reading? And then she likes her, like, all. Oh, she was even complimenting people, you know, who comp- who were giving encouragement, but that's where their coaches should. I mean, she should not be being motivated by other people yeah. outside sending tweets and Instagrams and Facebooks and all this other stuff. It should be through her coach, through her teammates. And I get to give Simone Biles credit. She definitely, she didn't just isolate herself. She went to every event. She supported her teammates. Her teammates said all the right things. They said she was very supportive. You could see that she was supportive. But the point is, I agree. I, I, I think the social media and with the NBA, with the others, it's like, look, when you're, you might want to be on social media for the whole off season, but when you're in the middle of a competition, it's like, you know, just ice. I mean, that's why they take these basketball teams. They put them in hotels to get them away from fans. Like they spend all this effort. Like, the college football teams before a game won't be on campus. They're going to go to a hotel. Well, it doesn't help if they're in a hotel if they're on tweeting and texting and all this other stuff. That's why they, some of these teams they take their phones away. They literally take their phones away. It's like you got to focus on the game. That's all we're going to talk about. It's the game, game, game. After that, you can tweet and text and everything. Before the game, we got to just be focused. They should have given uh, Juju Smith Schuster that notice <laughs> before some Steelers <laughs> games with his uh, TikTok addiction. It's Iron Sports, Drew Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's get into swimming. Caleb Dressel can continues to impress. I mean, Caleb Dressel now is a seven-time Olympic gold medalist. He holds the world records in the 100-meter butterfly, um, the 50-meter freestyle, and the 100-meter individual medley. He won 2016, won two gold medals. And in this Olympics, I mean, he every single time he came out, five golds, 
Um, he was a four by 100 freestyle relay, the medley relay, the freestyle, 100 meter butterfly, 50 meter freestyle. Uh, just came out there, did great. I mean, when you look at him, Michael Phelps has 23 golds. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Mark Spitz is nine. That's next. Beyond my, beyond he's eight. But Dressel now is at seven, and he's from Jacksonville, Florida. I think Green Cove Springs, Florida, which is near Jacksonville. Uh, but Dressel had a lot of pressure coming into this Olympics, and he did not disappoint. He really and 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 I like what Michael Phelps said. He should have been, I think, on another relay team. He's like, why is he not on this relay team? Like, there was another relay team that didn't that didn't uh, medal, and they said you put him on in that team. There was some questions. I like I like listen, I love listening to Michael Phelps because he certainly says what it is and knows probably more than any person alive because he's won 23 gold medals. But uh, but just I'm real real impressed with with Dressel's performance and and someone that a lot of pressure was on coming to the Olympics and definitely delivered. Just what else is going on in swimming? Well, I think Fink, Robert Fink, won the gold in the 800-meter freestyle and the 1,500-meter freestyle. It was fun to watch that. It was, it was a little surprise in terms of him being able to pull that off. Ryan Murphy had, a, in the backstrokes, he won a silver and bronze, and Karen Smith in the 400-meter freestyle. Uh, what, I, I really watched a lot. More than the most, the swimming was great because it was on prime time. It was funny that people said, oh, they moved the events to be uh, in prime time, prime time in, a, in our time zone, like the Eastern time zone was in prime time, but it was in the morning in Japan. But again, I think we talked about this last weekend's show. That's when swimmers swim in the morning. Like they would prefer to swim in the morning rather than, than late at night. So I think it was great. And of course, they want the publicity to be on. And it was great that first week. And we're seeing the track and field at sort of all different times. I really like the fact that they did put the swimming on in the morning, in prime time, and got a chance to meet these swimmers and, and see what they're going through and, 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 and from, from the men's side. And on the women's side, Katie Ledecky, uh, 2012, she had a gold, 2016, four golds and a silver. And this Olympics, she had uh, two golds and two silvers, uh, and uh, was in the she, her third straight gold in the 800 meter freestyle. And she had these great against Australia's Ariane Titmus is a, is their great, and they had they I think they raced in like three four races, and and uh, and Katie won two, and Ariana won another two. That was it was exciting to see, and, and, and boy, the team is just so supportive. I mean, all these athletes, Lydia Jacoby won the gold in the 100 meter breaststroke, Emma Wyatt silver in the 400 meter IM, Reagan Smith. Uh, 200 meter butterfly, a silver and a bronze. Erica Sullivan with a, sil- a silver, and Lily King had a silver and bronze. It was just like everyone seemed to be. And Holly Frickender had two two bronzes. But the, the Americans are great in swimming. I mean, I think they came in. The, the rest of the world swims. There's a lot of there's a lot of great swim teams, and and in some events like Australia did great and uh, performs well, but. Uh, it's one of boy when you watch swimming you're like boy what a, it's the most one of the most international sports because every country seems to have some sport or some athlete that's very good at swimming because everybody has swimming pools so I guess they're able to to pull that off so it was great. Let's uh, talk a little bit of golf. Congratulations to Xander Shoffley. I mean he's been playing great, playing great, but not playing you know not winning tournaments consistently, but look great in Japan. What, to win a gold, I mean this is someone who's. Finished second, it seems like, so many times in the Masters. He was over. We've been talking about Shoffley coming close, being in the mix. And to pull this off, I mean, it was great. I mean, they mentioned that his father, Stefan Shoffley, watched the medal ceremony from the 18th Green. He, his father was 20 years old when he was invited to train with Germany's national team as a decathlete. But he was hit by a drunken driver, a crash that left him blind in one eye, and he couldn't compete. And he eventually found golf as a passion, and he passed it on to his son. And now his son wins a gold medal. And it's great that his dad was there to watch it. I mean, I... The golf was hard to watch. I have to admit, I knew it was going to be hard, and I, I tried. I mean, it was every night. I mean, it starts at like 10 or 9, and it goes to 2, 3 in the morning, and watching golf at 3 in the morning is definitely a, <laughs> a, a challenge. But uh, Shoffley on, I guess, 
two nights ago, and I don't know what night we're talking about, so don't get the particulars. But he bogeyed. He was. He had the lead uh, over over Sab. Rory Sabertini goes out and shoots a sixty-one. I mean, he was done like in the middle of the middle, like at ten o'clock at night. So he had his at seventeen under, and Shoffley had a had a was sort of at sixteen eighteen. But Sabertini had the chance. One of those things where I'm done, and then it's going to come back. And Shoffley bogeyed fourteen. It's terrible. It's sort of like he was on had a one-stroke lead with two holes that everyone was scoring well on. Everyone was shooting sixty-three, sixty-two. Like he was going to just cruise to victory. But then he totally bogeyed fourteen. It was a terrible bogey. But then he was able to. Par 15-16, then birdie 17 and get back to 18-under and hold on uh, with 18 and putt. He had, a, I think, a, a four-foot putt to win to, to, to win it. Sabatini got the silver. And then they had a seven-way tie for the bronze. Usually third place. Okay, everyone's home. They go, no, they have to play for the bronze. You had CT Fan, <laughs> Colin Morikawa, Rory McIlroy, Paul Casey, Hideki Matsuyama, who I thought was going to do great. I mean, that time it looked like he had a silver wrapped up and then had some bogeys there on the back nine, and it ended up that CT Pan, after four playoff holes, was able to get the bronze medal. Uh, and uh, the Americans, 20, uh, Patrick Reed uh, was finished 22nd, Just, Justin Thomas finished 22nd. But, boy, American gets a gold medal, a, a great win for Xander Shoffley. Uh, it was, uh, and I just wish they could have played more. That could have been played more in prime time, more people could have watched it. Uh, but I think it also give him momentum going into next year and maybe the, and the FedEx Cup playoffs, really in terms of his success, because as someone who has come close and, you know, in the majors, hasn't won a major, now he has that gold medal. And, and only Justin Rose has won a gold medal now. Alexander Shoffley, it only happens once every four years. What's going on in uh, basketball? Well, Americans finally righted the ship. <laughs> they uh, beat <laughs> Iran by uh, 54 points, and they beat Czechoslovakia by uh, 35. And Kevin Durant playing great. Jason Tatum's playing great. David Lillard's playing great. Uh, they really got a rotation. I think Popovich finally figured out maybe we should have Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday on the floor together at the same time, considering they had played like it seems over the past a year, like a hundred games and just finished winning the NBA finals. Maybe have the two players play on the court at the same time. It's just, it's just remarkable that it took him, I don't know, three games to figure that out. Uh, but uh, it was Zach Levine, uh, great shooting, great playing. It, it, Czechoslovakia was overmatched. I mean, they were leading after the first quarter. You're like, what's going to happen? But totally blown out of like a 25-4 to 4 run. Now we set up the quarterfinals, and now this is the knockout stage. Now America can't lose. They play Spain at 1240 at night. I'll be up watching that game. Uh, so if they win, they play the winner of Australia, Argentina, which is at 8 o'clock next, tomorrow morning. And then in the quarters, I've been saying the quarters, Italy plays France in the middle of the night. And Slovenia with Luka Doncic, who is just playing amazing. Uh, they play Germany at uh, 9 o'clock uh, tonight. So it'll be good to watch the, some good basketball. And uh, in the women's, they beat Japan by 17. Aja Wilson, Brianna Stewart, Brittany Grimer. American women's team has won six straight gold medals. Uh, there just seems to be unbeatable, and, and I would find it. I think they are the biggest lock of any <laughs> team or athlete to win uh, the uh, – because in the WNBA, there's not as many foreign players that are playing, uh, and they're just uh, a dominant. And then the three-on-three women uh, team won the gold. And I, as I said before, I cannot wait next year. I want the U.S. men to put – like, I want there to be a superstar three-on-three team. You know, LeBron, Curry, like, let's do something on – like, make that event amazing. Like, that should be the – the, the it should not be in the middle of the night type event. This should be like the prime event. It's three on three men's basketball. It's seven twenty three. Iron Sports True Oldies Channel. Pirates legend Dave Parker joins us in about twenty minutes here on the True Oldies Channel. So, Ira, for the U.S. Women's National Team uh, soccer team, anything less than a gold is kind of a letdown, and they're not going to achieve it this year. 
No, they could they could play. They lost to Canada one nothing, but they haven't been playing well. They were one win, one tie, one loss. They hadn't looked good at all in the three preliminary games. They beat Netherlands on penalty kicks. Uh, this team was a mess in terms of the, the, there was no passion, no enthusiasm. I don't know if they if the aspect of the fact. I mean, they've been fighting for the the pay issue is a big thing. It seems like they had a lot of everyone was doing commercials. There's a mix of the older players, the younger players. But they were ranked number one in the world. They were heavily favored to win this uh, and to come up with just a terrible performance. Um, it, it seems like they're going to have to figure out next time what you know what to do. It just did not work out. Change coaches uh, and a lot of the players uh, like Megan Rapino are going to and Carly Lloyd and a lot of the older players are, are going to retire uh, from playing in, in, in these national competitions. But something has to be. This is a shock. They did not play well. I mean, this is five five matches, and they didn't really look good in any of them. I watched them all, and they were just a team like totally listless, no passion, no energy. This team seemed like they had a mixture. The team did not gel between the the players that had all the experience, like an Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino that won World Championships, and then some of the newer players. It, it was just just did not come together. And I, I mean, it was something that people were thinking for the men's basketball team, but they were able to write it. But um, it's uh, they're playing Australia, playing Australia for the bronze. But it's uh, even if they win that, it's going to be a complete disappointment. But considering they were one of the most favorite, heavily favorite to win. Ira, you couldn't believe the Joker went down in tennis. I was watching it. Now, that was a disaster because it played at 3.30 in the morning. So Djokovic was up 6. I turned it on. He was up 6-1 the first set. And I'm like, 3-2 serving. They only played best out of three. So that was match. I, w- I missed the first set because I fell asleep. And then I woke up. And I'm like, he's going to – this is uh, – I fell asleep but woke up too late for it. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be over in a second. Well, he's up 3-2, and he ended up, I, again, I, I couldn't believe what I was watching, and I thought it was a dream because I was like half in, and I, he was up 3-2 in serving. He ended up losing that set 6-3, so he, won, so he lost four straight games. And then in the third set, he lost 6-1. And I'm like, I, he has not had, I mean, he's the biggest, toughest fighter and does everything. I do not know what happened. Like, he lost 10 out of 11 games. I mean, he's the greatest in the world, <laughs> greatest of all time right now. Sasha Zarev is good. Sasha Zarev was someone who just started serving, and like one of those persons just like started serving aces and serving well. But Djokovic has played that against against that his entire life, and he has a great record against Sasha Zarev in Germany. And Sasha is one of the top you know players in the world. But I just could not believe what happened. I don't think Joker believed what happened. And then he came back the next week, and then he played Pablo Carina Busta and lost in the bronze medal game. Throws a temper tantrum. Everybody's on his case. Everybody's yelling at him that he showed bad sportsmanship. Those things. But it seemed like it broke totally for his way because Tsitsipas and Medvedev had lost, so the whole draw opened up for him to uh, to win because Karachev, if he beat if he beat Zarev, he would have played Karen Karachev of Russia, who he's dominated before. But just a mess for him. And then on the women's side, uh, Vonda Rusev Czechoslovakia. I watched that match against Osaka. She won like three and two. It was uh, Osaka looks like. I mean, again, this is not a Simone Bow situation where Simone was, I mean, Zaka sat out Wimbledon in French because she didn't want the media questions, but she's been doing everything from ESPYs, the sportswear swimsuit, to this and that. Um, and, and I think that she just looked slow. She was so off in her game. Uh, Vonda Rusa is 50th ranked in the world, but should not have won so easily over Osaka. Uh, I'm not looking. I'm telling you, I do not think Osaka is going to do well in the U.S. Open. It seems like this could be... I mean, she something. She is not focused on tennis, and that's okay. She's 
you know, made $50 million, but, but she doesn't look like the player that, that has won two U.S. Opens and two Australian Opens. Uh, and Bensick of Canada was able to win the gold. Uh, she's never won a Grand Slam beat Bondarusso, but it was a good win for Bensick because as, as like an 18, 19-year-old, she was supposed to be the, from uh, the next uh, big thing. I mean, from Switzerland. Switzerland. Uh, she was supposed to be the next uh, great player, uh, next tennis player, but uh, you know, had some down years, but this is a big win for her. What about serving? Well, the only thing was about surfing is I watched it, and it's, it was great. I mean, it's, it, that was an event, and they're going to have next year, next year, the Olympics is going to be in, in Paris, and they're going to have the, there's no waves in Paris, so they're having the this, this surfing in Tahiti, uh, which, and, the, and Carissa Moore won the gold in the shortboard, and, and I think, that, again, I think the surfing, the, uh, the BMX bikes, and the skateboarding is awesome, and the different sports that they're adding. I just brought that up because that's a great goal. And Chris, when she won, was so excited. She was probably more excited than any person ever won. She was like, this is awesome. I got the great waves. I mean, she had, she had that surfer mentality. It was just so refreshing to see her talk. And now this coming week, we're going to get, we're going to get track and field. So the big thing is that the basketballs, uh, the men's and women's are going to be playing in the knockout phases. You're going to, and then you're going to have all, they call it athletics, but it's all the track and field and the, and the races. And that's going to be this, this whole, this whole week. Let's change gears, go to the NBA. You were at the draft last Thursday. You said it wasn't your best draft experience. You've been to almost a dozen. So let's talk about that and talk about, you know, where some of these players landed up. I was really impressed with what Orlando was able to pull off with uh, Jalen Suggs falling to five, then also grabbing uh, Franz Wagner. So I think that it was a good draft for them. A couple other people, though, not so much. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was they did the same thing. I love the thing about bringing the families there. So the families are out. Like I sat. They take the middle section is a walkway, like a catwalk, and then there's a stage where Silver has, and then the media is sort of on the one side. They cut the gym in half, and then the fans sit on both sides and then up high around. And, and it wasn't that filled. I mean, I have to say there were a lot of empty seats, uh, but they announced – when they announce the players, they walk up on stage, they go, they take their hat. I didn't like the fact that when they get their hat, they should like stand and look at the audience, but then they turn just like went right to yeah. silver. <laughs> there, there could be more. Uh, and th- it just it it just didn't work this year uh, compared to in past. And I do like the fact that when the second round, like when you're sitting next to somebody in the stands and they get picked and they're jumping up and down and the camera's trying to find them and they're like hugging everybody, that emotion. Uh, it just didn't get. Uh, they just probably told everybody that wasn't going to be in the green room, don't come to the draft. But that was uh, so from an atmosphere perspective, and especially after like nine thirty at night, there was nothing going on. And I stayed to the end because I just felt like I was there I should stay to the end but and then it was weird it got so it was so empty by like they let everybody come down to the the sections where I was sitting the good sections and then they let people go on the floor like after everybody was pulled uh pulled from it then they had people go to the floor and uh uh, and sit on the floor the NBA did something nice Terrence Clark was uh, a player from Kentucky that was uh, killed in a car accident would have been probably a top 15 to 20 pick and they actually drafted him like a, the NBA had a draft and brought his family up. I thought it was a really nice gesture on their part. Really, really, really considering he hadn't been drafted by the league. So it was a really, really nice gesture on their part. And it was emotional. Everybody stood up and, and uh, a standing ovation for the family. Uh, but it was, that was, that was the, probably the signature moment I'm going to remember for the rest of the draft. Ira, do you want to talk about any of the selections? I know, you know, me being a Knicks fan, I, was kind of excited you know they were saying that you know the Knicks had two picks I think it was 19 and 21 and in in a normal draft year there were guys in that range that would have been lottery picks but since this was such a stacked draft the Knicks could have acquired you know two very good players 
They end up trading back twice, taking a guy who was projected to go in the second day. So that was a little disappointing for me. Any uh, takeaways from the selections? Uh, I agree. I don't know what the Knicks are doing, and it was hard to get excited because you have Knicks and Nets, and they were they were drafting players, but they, everybody knew they weren't going there. Grimes, that who they drafted, someone who was probably not going to make a big impact that first year. Uh, I think people were surprised by that. Uh, Cunningham goes to Detroit. People really liked him. Jalen Green, who's in that G League, goes to Houston, uh, and Evan Mobley to the Cavs, which doesn't make any sense because the Cavs just signed. So Evan Mobley is a true center. They just signed another true center in, J- in Jared Allen for five-year, $100 million yeah. <laughs> contract. I, I just don't get that pick. I mean, I, I, I just don't understand it. And I think the, the whole four or five, Scotty Barnes of Florida State, and we've had C.Y. Young on our show talking about the Florida State players. Um, he went to Toronto. And instead of now, Toronto is losing. We're going to get Kyle Lowry to the Heat. They lose their point guard. They could have drafted Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga as their point guard. So it didn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Jalen Suggs, I think, goes to Orlando. There's one pick I think that was fast. Like Orlando's like, I can't believe Jalen Suggs dropped to us. They picked him. Uh, I like the Warriors pick. They, they picked a guy, Jonathan Kaminga of the Congo, who played in the G League. But I think he's a player that the first two years could be like a 10 to 15, 20 minute role player in that role with the Warriors. And, and then eventually emerges a star. And they also drafted uh, uh, later on another player, which I think is, you know, Moses Moody from Arkansas, who I think is again, a player that's going to play well for them. I, I actually like their picks. I thought they, they did well uh, in, in the draft. Some players that, uh, like uh, San Antonio drafted Josh Primo from Alabama. People thought Josh Primo was like a second-round pick, and he's drafted with a 12th pick, which was a real big surprise. I think what really shocked everyone was in the second round when, like, nobody is paying attention, nobody's watching. Sharif Cooper of Auburn, some people had it as a top-10 pick. He fell to 48 to Atlanta. I mean, if you watch Auburn, he was a star guard. Bull Adesamayo, Adesamayo from Illinois, who everyone felt was going to be – was first-team All-American – Dropped 38 to the Bulls. Jared Butler, remember from Baylor, the star guard. I mean, David Mitchell went tenth with a with a tenth pick or ninth pick to the Kings. Butler dra- drops the 40th to the Pelicans. Isaiah Livers, the big Michigan star, 42nd to Detroit. Um, and then the College Player of the Year, unanimous, everyone. Luca Garza. I understand he might be slow, whatever, but 52nd to Detroit. <laughs> Luca Garza. I was just you know surprised by some of these big name players that draft drops so late in the draft. And that's where I expect, like, I mean, these people have been very great. These players have been phenomenal in college. They're not going to go to the pros and just have, I think, I think there's some, there's going to be some second round picks. that are going to have big impacts in the league. Well, there was, they're saying this could be the best draft since Jordan and Olajuwon. And that's what you'd have is guys in the twenties and second round that end up having, um, you know, uh, maybe hall of fame careers. So hopefully that does work out. Let's talk. (laughs) So, if you're a role player on a LeBron James team these days and you don't win the uh, championship, just pack your bags because he's sending you out of town for new <laughs> ones. And basically every role player on that team is going to the Wizards in exchange for Russell Westbrook. I don't think that this is going to work, Ira. I just think they're too ball-centric. I don't know if Westbrook and LeBron can coexist. Uh, I'm going to take a different take. I like – to some extent, I like it. I do think that Westbrook – I mean, it, the problem with Westbrook is now he's been on – he couldn't work with Durant and Harden at Oklahoma City, then Durant at Oklahoma City. He couldn't work with Paul George at Oklahoma City. He could not work with Harden in, in Houston, and he can't work with Beal in Washington. So the question is, 
is Westbrook. I mean, he's 32 years old. He's from LA. He's triple double machine for you know, a hall of famer, all this other stuff, but it's going to work. You're right with Davis and with now LeBron. Now what I, what I like about it is that um, I do think that he'll create a lot. He'll draw a lot of double teams, which you have Westbrook with a double team and Davis with a double team and LeBron with a double team. At some point, people are going to be wide open. I think the next move to analyze, they have no other players. They have this Taylor Horton Tucker under contract, Marcus All under contract. They have, they have to fill out their entire roster. They literally have nobody under contract. Yeah. These, how they fill out this team is going to be decide what happens. If they, if they, they have got to get shooters. They really yeah. need a Seth Curry. They need people because these players look what, look at Milwaukee. They've got Bobby Portis, who came in and played great. The P.J. Tuckers, who came in great. The Dante, the Pat Conahan, who's came, and Dante Defensio. Like, these other players that come in are going to make the difference on these teams with, with the Lakers. I, and I think that's what it's going to be. If they just bring in LeBron's pals and his friends and people he likes, and that's just going to work. It's just that then they're going to be terrible. But if they can bring in players that really can drain shots, really play defense, that's where I'll be interested to see what happens uh, with them and, and whether this trade's going to work or not. Um, you already mentioned it uh, looks like Kyle Lowry is going to be coming to the Heat. Uh, free agency just opened up a few minutes ago. What else are we looking at? I'm not sure if I like that trade. I'm, I'm not the biggest Kyle Lowry fan. I mean, we dry, I, he's it's three-year contract. He's 34. He's a little I – mean, two years older. I I don't know. I mean, there's times when a shot just goes and he can't shoot. He won the title two years ago with Siakam and Kawhi Leonard, and I don't think he plays well. I'm not – I'm not sold on this. I'm a little nervous about that, this move. Uh, Lonzo Ball going to the Bulls for four years, $85 million. And people thought Lonzo Ball was a bust. Well, if he's a bust, getting $85 million for the Bulls, <laughs> who already have guards, which I don't, I don't get that. Mike Conley resigned for three years, $72 million with the Jazz. Totally understand that because the Jazz are going for the title next year. And, uh, and Tim Hardaway Jr. resigned with the Mavericks, four years, $80 million. And Kelly Olynyk, who we saw for the Heat, yep. went to the Pistons for three years, $37 million. And I like Olynyk. I said, if Olynyk was on the Heat this year, I think that'd make a, a bit, you know, would have made a huge difference when they trade him for Victor Oladipo and Oladipo gets hurt. And that's one reason why they got swept by the Bucks because they had no rebounding. Ira, um, we also have the Knicks picking up, uh, re-signing Alex Burke and Nerlens Noel. It's Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. About five minutes or so till we bring in uh, Pirates legend Dave Parker. Ira, this was this baseball trade deadline was the craziest that I've ever seen, maybe in any sport. Holy exciting, holy talent getting moved around, and the way that this that the league is working, it's just not the way it used to be. No, I mean a team like the Cubs. I mean they traded their entire team. I mean, is there anybody left? And they traded to the Mets, Javier Baez and Trevor Williams. Uh, they traded Chris Bryant to the Giants. Um, am I missing? What am I missing? And, 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 and uh, Rizzo, Rizzo yeah. to the Yankees. Yeah, so they, their entire team was like it was almost like the Kraken was taking team. It was like one team was like <laughs> the Cubs were going to be <laughs> Montreal. They did that one time when they felt when they like folded, like those teams that folded and the players distributed around the league. And I mean, I guess you know everything is there's no even trades. This is all for prospects that no one's ever heard of and maybe not heard of and those type of things. But the Dodgers then acquire Scherzer and Trey Turner for the Nationals. They're getting Seager back. They're getting Bell, you know, Belger. I mean, Kurt Gavin back. Walks. I mean. Uh, they they could feel as I said before the Dodgers now could feel two teams and I don't know if Trevor Bauer's out for the whole year like I mean there's a situation where he could be a 30 game suspension and then come back so but you know when you have a line Walter they have Scherzer Bueller and Kershaw uh, Urias and uh, from their from the pitching staff 
they're 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 amazing with Trey Turner. I mean, Trey Turner is like he's the list leading the league in hitting. I'm more seeing these. So, but then the Giants get Chris Bryant, the Mets get Baez, the Braves get Solar from the Royals and Duvall from the Marlins. Uh, everybody seems to be adding these home run hitters. The, the Rays, Tampa got Delta Cruz from the Twins. The Red Sox get Schwarber from the Nationals. Uh, just uh, just trades all over the place. It, it was not many high end free agents, which is weird. Like you know, um, when they came out and said, uh, you know, the Nationals came out and said, everyone on this team can go except Juan Soto. Why would you not be trying to keep Trey Turner? Like you said, he's arguably the best shortstop in baseball. He's got another year of control. He's twenty five years old. To let this guy go for ba- guys that not like not even like top prospects, just prospects that I didn't agree with. Basically, uh, the Twins got a better haul for Jose Berrios from the Blue Jays than the Nationals got from the Dodgers for two All Stars. This didn't make sense to me there. And none of this. I mean, Craig Krimble was traded from the Cubs to the White Sox. I mean, all these unwritten. You talk about unwritten rules. Uh, trading in your league, trading in your division, yeah. trading to cross town rivals. I mean, the only thing that didn't happen was Yankees Mets. I mean, it seems like that's the only trade. Or maybe, you know, besides Giants, Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, maybe Giants, Dodgers, Padres, everything was traded, like in division and whatever. I, I, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would the Nationals do this trade to really help the Dodgers when the Nationals and Dodgers have been battling for the World Series the last two years? That trade didn't make sense. Uh, I mean, I just don't get it. I mean, I, I was real. And I, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm really disappointed. If I'm a Nationals fan, I'm really disappointed because they're supposed to be a, a big market team and they're just, they just unloaded everybody. I. Again, I'm, I'm a Pirates fan, and I'm upset. I mean, if I had a team that had money, it competes. Like, don't give up. Stay in. Like, you won the World Series win. two I, I, years totally ago. Totally against this. You're two years out from a World Series win, and you're blowing it up. I just that just really bothered me. It, it must have been a wild, you know, 24 or 48 hours for say someone who was in AAA on uh, the Cubs or on the Nationals, and like all of a sudden, oh man, I might be going to the big leagues because they're trading everybody, or they might bring in five new outfielders and I'm going to single A. Like, you just really, you were just so in limbo there for a couple of hours. But yeah, it was bizarre to me, and I think the lack of a haul that a lot of these teams got back was, was what kind of bothered me. But huge shift in the landscape, and we're going to see a big uh, shift in the landscape in college football. I don't think either of us thought this was going to happen, or so quickly, but Texas and Oklahoma are coming to the SEC. Well, I thought that they were going to open them up, and now it looks like they've been they they applied and they were accepted. Boy, you'd like to go to college, like you say, oh, you know, I want to go to Texas, Oklahoma, and then or wherever school you want to go to, and you're like, okay, and then we accepted. <laughs> so, but but clearly that's the one change. I I, I now look the Big Twelve is sitting out there and they're saying this isn't happening until four in for four years. We expect because they tied it would cost them almost eighty million dollars each to do this. But I thought that they would be open to maybe go into the Big Ten or the ACC. It seems like no. This is the SEC. The SEC is out of these teams. This is what's going to happen. Um, and now we're gonna, the whole question we talked about last week, what happens to the other Big 12 teams? And the American Conference, American Athletic Conference, the team with like Cincinnati, instead of those, we thought those teams were going to the Big 12. It looks like they want to take the Big 12 teams in their conference and just have, have sort of that, that type of uh, conference. But uh, the SEC uh, feels that Texas, Oklahoma, and, and we talked about this before, it's probably the, 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 feel, the idea in Texas is that we can't do this alone. We'd rather, but they're going to come to a conference where, Again, you mentioned it last time. Texas hasn't won in years, um, and they're going to just be one of 16 schools equal to Vanderbilt in the whole uh, order. Yeah, Vanderbilt, Arkansas is kind of crazy how that worked out. Um, let's go to the NFL here, and it seems like it's been forever since we've had football, but Thursday night we're going to see some. 
Steelers versus Cowboys. I mean, <laughs> we'll probably see Ben for like a play, maybe. Yeah. But it's, it's it's exciting to get football back. It's a Hall of Fame game. It's been canceled the last few years because of, of COVID. It was canceled because of the field wasn't right. Uh, this is in Canton. But uh, Troy Polinola is getting inducted in the Hall of Fame for the Steelers. But uh, it was this is uh, football's back, and we're going to have a season starting soon. So that was really what I guess on Thursday night people. It's funny. I get you. That game is going to blow away the Olympics. <laughs> like the NFL preseason <laughs> game with no Steelers and no Cowboys, players that aren't even going to be on the team in three weeks. That the NFL. When I was watching the Olympics, and I also said this is one comment about the NFL that I, in my mind I said. It's amazing how big college football is because you're looking at all these athletes in the Jamaican swim and all these from all around the world, all these track and field that all train in America. And, 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 uh, and track and field is not that big in America, but the, what funds track and field is all the college football programs. So college football programs is literally training and paying for all the training for all these track and field athletes from all around the world that are competing. It just shows you this, the size, the massive size of college football and the power that college football has is that they have the influence it has on sports that have nothing to do with college football at all. But in, in, in events in the Olympics, you're like, college football is not in the Olympics, but these, but they went to all these athletes around the world will be in America training at the Texas and the Oklahoma's and all these other schools. They wouldn't be training if the college football programs weren't generating so much money to pay for all these programs. Uh, so, Ira, in uh, injury notes, one former Eagle is injured, going to miss five to 11 weeks. Carson Wentz um, is going to have require surgery. And new Eagle, Devonta Smith, appears to have a uh, MCL strain. He's going to miss about three or four weeks. So uh, a couple of injuries popping up already. Well, the Smith injury isn't that, I mean, isn't that serious in terms of through it. Carson Wentz, I mean, the Colts put pushed all their eggs in the basket with, with trading for Wentz as a quarterback without really a backup quarterback at all. The Colts are a team that people, I see a lot of people putting into the Super Bowl, and now he's going to be out for three months. Uh, uh, serious, serious injury. I mean, he was in, uh, with a foot uh, to have it just in, in a training camp in like the first couple of days. Uh, devastating to the Colts in terms of what they're trying to do. Uh, the Phillip Rivers, remember, was the quarterback last year who retired, and they really got rid of Jacoby Brissett, who they didn't sign. Uh, this is a spot where so you're, you could possibly see some of these big-name free agents uh, that uh, that are looking to play that, are, that haven't been signed, that they're maybe out of football, uh, might come back here because th- this is a team that's ready to win. It's loaded, and they now they have no quarterback whatsoever. Time to call Eli Manning if you're uh, in the Colts front office. Um, we got about a minute till we got to Dave Parker. What's going on in auto racing? Oh, I, the Formula One Grand Prix this year, this week in Hungary, might have been the best of all the the whole year. Uh, Bottas from Mercedes knocked out all of Norris, Perez, Leclerc, and Verstappen damaged. He stayed in the race, but a, a first, like in the first start of the race, is huge accident, and then on the restart. All the drivers changed tires. Hamilton, who was leading the race, because it was only just like one lap, he was out there and nobody went out. They all pitted. So he actually had to run a race, run a race, and then go and change his tires. But then everybody came out. It was sort of like they, they tricked him into doing that. And then he starts in the back of the field, and then he had to fight through the, the whole field to come back. And he was trying to, and Alonzo held him off who's from this team Alpine, which is not one of the top teams at all, uh, was able to hold him out. And his, and, and his uh, partner, Ocho, uh, who was, hasn't won anything, has never won a Formula One, has never podium, nothing. And then even his last one was 2015 in minor wins, minor leagues. Uh, he actually won. Uh, Sebastian Vettel finished second and Hamilton finished third. But he picked up because Verstappen was, had damage to his car. Hamilton was able to take the points lead then in the Formula One. But it was really one of the, one of the best races. And I'll tell you this, I'm going to say this again, this 
I, I've been talking to people. The Formula One race in Fort Lauderdale next year is coming. I have a broker tell me, Ira, this is Super Bowl. This is at that level. The parties around us, everything that's coming. You're going to see boats. This, people do not know what's going to happen and, and next year. And I'd love to get some guests on to talk about this, but it is going to be one of the biggest events in South Florida that I know at this Formula One race because everyone is keying up to this. And, and I'm get, hearing it from the brokers who are saying, people are asking me for things. They know I talk about Formula One. And, and they're like calling me saying, what is this? Like, why does everybody want this? And why are people willing to pay 10, 20,000 for tickets and events and tickets to parties? It's going to be a huge event. We should have some of that effect up here, even in West Palm Beach. Siron Sports, 95.9, 106.9. And I am honored to have one of my favorite players of all time in any sport on uh, the Cobra, Dave Parker. Um, Dave, you, you just one thing. At first, I've been to... 60 World Series games, thousands of baseball games. The first baseball game I went to in 1973 was your first game as a pirate in Pittsburgh. So, again, my, an honor to have you on the Iron Sports Show tonight. Well, thank you. Um, so, you have a book out called Cobra. That's your nickname. And I thought it, I, the book's tremendous. And I recommend anyone who loves baseball to get it, anyone who wants to learn about the set. 70s, the great baseball times, and you really go into detail in the games. Just love the book. But you grew up in Cincinnati, and your book, you really was where focus was going to be a football player. You want to be running for the Ohio State Buckeyes more so than the uh, uh, than be a, a baseball player for the Reds. Well, baseball was my—I mean, football was my first love, and uh, I had planned on playing with Ohio State. But I tore my knee up my senior year of high school, and uh, that was the end of that. But it changed my life uh, enormously because uh, I ended up playing 19 years of baseball. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. And and it was interesting. When you were younger, you would go to the Reds games and just as a, a, a vendor, throwing peanuts and everything at the games, and, and you got to watch those great, some of the Reds teams play in those days, um, even meeting some of the players after the game. Yeah, I met John Edwards, Pete Rose, Frank Robinson, Vader Pinson. Peter just came up, and uh, they were excited about him, so he, he was getting big news. <laughs> and you have fun stories about how you ran into these players and what they were talking to. And you ended up getting selected by the Pirates. And you go to the Pirates, and, and when we think about the Pirates now, and I think most of my listeners that are above the age of, like, 20-something probably would not think the Pirates used to be a very good baseball team. But when you were drafted by the Pirates and one of the organization, they were one of the best teams in baseball with Clemente and Stargell and everything. And that, you know, that must have been an exciting time to join that team. They just off, off a World Series uh, uh, a win, too. Yeah, they won in 71, and uh, they had won, like, three or four Eastern Division championships prior to that. So they were winning, and um, they were known as a powerhouse in the Eastern Division. Right. And then, so you, when you joined the Pirates, it was, it's like, you're doing great in the minor leagues and you get sent down there, but it's like, there was just so many players. I mean, you want, you were right fielder and Clemente was in right field. So you're not going to take that position. So it was just, you, your book lands out how frustrated you were that you didn't get a chance to get up into the, into the major leagues because you were just doing so well in the minors. Yeah, I was winning batting titles in the minor leagues. Uh, I played, they made me play three years of a ball <laughs> and uh, couldn't nobody pick me up. Because I was on the A roster, 
So they had me protected for them. And I played three years of A-ball and finally got to Triple A and was hitting like 316 and about 18 home runs at the halfway point. And uh, I ended up quitting <laughs> because uh, I didn't see no light at the end of the tunnel. But then, uh, um, well, they, they brought you back. But they, uh, when you're, you talk in the book a lot about Bradenton. And we're here in West Palm Beach, so we have our four spring training teams here. But it was, uh, it's great to have when your, your experience about Bradenton with the, with the team and just talking about that town and, and just the whole aspect. And I think you took spring training a lot more seriously than the teams take spring training now. Yeah, I was fighting for a job. <laughs> You know, so spring training was uh, my future. So I uh, ended up playing rookie ball. I won a betting title there. Then I played um, in Salem, Virginia, and did well there. I uh, did well everywhere I played in the minor leagues. Yeah, and then and then you talk in the book in terms of there's a, an essence of the Pirates and we talk, think about the 79 team being we are family, but it really started when you joined there, when, when, when you were, you know, taught work with Clemente and Stargell and those players back in those days and, and how you guys got along. And it really was that it was a family almost the entire time you were there. Yes, it was a very closely knit team. You had Stargell, who was a guy, if you couldn't like Willie, you couldn't like anyone. He was uh, the leader of the club. And uh, Tanner, the manager, was one of those guys that was ideal for our situation because he governed with one eye and one ear. He didn't hear everything. He didn't see everything. So that's the kind of manager we needed for the club that we had. And and you were known as... You know, the way you played was a little different than how they play today. It's like you wanted to have a high batting average. So you led the league in batting twice, actually won the MVP award in 77 uh, in 78 when you won the batting title and was the MVP because you like to hit like in 330, 340, you know, 25, 30 home runs. Um, a little bit different how they play today. But uh, but that was in terms of I liked how your book, how you always talked about, you know, studying the pitchers, trying to get the singles, doubles. We had Rod Carew on our show a couple of months ago, sort of that same sort of concept in terms of the analysis of the game. Well, everybody's trying to hit the home run now. <laughs> they, don't move, they don't move the runner over. They don't play small ball. And uh, that's what makes for four-hour games. Don't nobody want to sit at the ballpark for four hours. That's like playing five that's like playing golf. Five hours. <laughs> well, it's, you, you're famous for 77 and 79. And 70, you, were hurt. you went to the All-Star game. The f- one game was in New York. And it was a great experience for you in terms of talking about being at Yankee Stadium your first time there. And then, of course, in 79, I mean, it's one of the most iconic baseball plays of all time at the Kingdom. Uh, your two throws, one at third base and one at home on the fly, uh, getting the runners out and winning the MVP award in 1979 in the All-Star game. Right. That was the first time that you ever won an MVP for defensive efforts. <laughs> and uh, I had two throws that both throws had an impact on the game. Uh, Jim Rice going the third, kept him from being on the base, 
scoring. Uh, Nettles hit a, a, a ground ball that was on the warning track almost, and I threw him out at home. So the throws were instrumental, and uh, they uh, won me MVP. And then in 79, for the, for the, uh, the World Series, just it was a battle. You have to beat the Reds. Uh, had to be, they were down 3-1 of the Orioles. But it was just even during the year, you took on this leadership role of the team. But in a way that Stargell was the, was, was the leader, but you were, the, I guess, the, the supplemental leader to the whole team. I just love reading in your book how you two worked with him, worked with him, and, and, and was like, you know, work with Tanner in terms of keeping the, that fun aspect, the we are family during that entire year of 79. Yeah, we uh, had Stargell, who led the team. I was like Sergeant of Arms. I mean, if anything went down that wasn't quite right and they needed somebody to come in and straighten it out, even if it meant physically, uh, I was that guy. <laughs> so... They, you spend time in your book, and my, my dad always talks to the, tells you the fact that he was a, his debate partner was Tom Rich, who was your agent. And it was actually, you didn't use him as an agent initially. He wanted to be your agent, and he wasn't really an agent. He was just a lawyer back then who started taking on some players, and he was your, the high profile. But you're probably known more than anything for the first player to actually make a million dollars in team sports. And we see all these contracts today, and they're making 35 and 40. You were the first person to be able to negotiate a $1 million a year contract when you signed that in 78 uh, for a five-year, $5 million contract. Yeah, Tom got to be an agent because of his association with Doc Ellis. Doc Ellis was his first client, and that's how I got involved with Tom. And, uh, the million-dollar salary, I told three of my friends walking to high school that I was going to be the first million-dollar paid player. And uh, this was in high school. And when it happened, uh, they drove to Pittsburgh and just stared at me for about 10 minutes. (laughs) And I'm looking at them like, what's wrong with you guys? He said, you said you was going to do this in 11th grade. So... I uh, had my own uh, dream that I made happen. You did. And, and, you know, I just, there's so many things in the book that I caught that were interesting. Like, you mentioned you went to the All-Star Game, and now when people go to the All-Star Game, they bring an entourage full of everybody, you know, everybody there. And they gave you, they offered you two tickets, and they said, here's your two complimentary tickets, and here you're going to be the MVP of the All-Star Game. And you said, just give it to two little kids. I don't have anybody here. I'm here for myself. And I just love that in terms of your fact that, you know, you were, you were definitely doing this. You didn't really have to have to have an entourage of people, you and your teammates. Yeah, that's all I need. You know, and uh, the family thing is, is really true. I mean, we were a family and we cared about each other. And we would go out after a day game in Chicago, go to dinner, and it would be like 10 or 12 Pirates there, you know, and guys, we ate together, went out together, and really cared about each other. So we were were unique in that way. You mentioned when Doc Ellis came back to play for the Pirates and 
and he was struggling in a game and you just like you just wanted to win the game for him like you would do anything or if some one of your players made an error earlier you felt like oh I got to make that back up to help them it it was it was amazing even though you you know much in the book how you're battling for positions against people and you still were even though you're battling for them was working for them cheering them and I don't think players do that today at all so it was just an amazing read of that book well they too busy counting their money <laughs> Well, and then you got a chance to go to Cincinnati to, to, you know, after the Pirates, I think, made a horrendous mistake in letting you go in terms of after free agency. Then you signed with the, with the Reds and you got to play back in your hometown, play with Pete Rose, work on that. So that was fun. And you actually were second in the MVP in 1985. So you still had that great second part of your career after the first 10 years of the Pirates uh, playing you know, in Cincinnati and, and competing with the Reds. Yeah, Cincinnati was, uh, um, they were a thorn in the side. <laughs> uh, they used to knock us out the playoffs. They did it about three times. And uh, we uh, finally got them in 79. But uh, Doc had said that uh, you guys are scared of the Reds. He had a, a team meeting in the clubhouse. And uh, he said, you guys are scared of the Reds. He said, I'm going to show you just how tough they are. I'm hitting everybody come to the plate. Oh, that story, I'm yes. Hitting, <laughs> yeah, I'm hitting every mother come to the plate. And uh, I said, oh, man, you ain't going to do nothing. Shut up. And uh, he uh, hit everybody came to the plate. <laughs> hit Pete Rose, Griffey, you know, hit Perez threw and missed Johnny Bench's head and came over and told me to my, I don't know how I missed his head, big as his head is. <laughs> but uh, Doc was uh, a unique guy, and he was very smart. People didn't give him credit for how smart he was. Right, right. And then you got a chance to go to the Reds then after the, your playing career with the Pirates. So that you actually got to play with Pete Rose and, and, and to, and he was your manager, really player and manager when Pete was there. So that must've been, I mean, those were some good years in Cincinnati being back home and playing. Yeah, it was fun. I, uh, enjoyed playing against Pete, but, uh, it was a thrill to play with him. <laughs> you know, Pete hustled. Everything he did was at a hundred percent. So uh, it was fun playing with him and playing under him. Yeah, and as, as a Pirate fan, I'll tell you, I mean, reading your book, you were honest about everything that went through with your life and everything, and I just felt it was horrendous that the Pirates later you know, in your career decided to try to sue you for your deferred money that you had earned, and uh, clearly it was ridiculous. And I, I, you mentioned in your book how if you um, – uh, you didn't think the the fans in Pittsburgh would be a good jury, and I'm like, I th- if I was on the jury, I would I would have supported you. You did. You brought so much joy to that city, and so much joy to the fans, and you're so loved in Pittsburgh that uh, I felt like you should have never settled with them for your deferred money because it was horrendous that they even went after that. Yeah, it was. It was kind of crazy. I, I would have stayed in Pittsburgh if Pete Peterson would have tried to negotiate something fair. Uh, he was a uh, hard car with me from the beginning. And, uh, we got, got involved in a negotiation that was one, that was basically impossible to work with. And I mean, 
your numbers in many ways at 2,800 hits, 340 home runs, uh, 290 batting average. I mean, you're you're close to the Hall of Fame, but you only got like 25% of the vote. But you're hoping that maybe the veterans committees and when they start looking at these committees that you might get a second second look at the Hall of Fame? I couldn't do no more to get in the Hall of Fame. I won everything you could win. Uh, I was the best player in baseball from 75 to 80. Uh, I dominated the game. I was the best. I, I, mean, and I that, couldn't do no more. No, and I think that's what's so great. You have the numbers, and you were the MVP. So not only did you compile numbers, but you also were the best. And that, that that's something some of these people we see in the game, you're like, is that really a Hall of Famer? When you played, everybody knew you were the best player in baseball, so you were clearly a Hall of Famer. But, uh, I mean, your Cobra definitely is a must-read. Everyone should see it. I was excited to see at the end of the book, you, you actually were a, a, an entrepreneur owning restaurants. I think the last 20 years you had to, you had a, a chain of restaurants, of franchises. So that must have been pretty fun to go from baseball to, to owning and being hand, Literally, you said you are hands-on running these restaurants. Yeah, I uh, enjoyed the restaurant business. Uh, I own Popeye Chicken franchises, and uh, I sent a lot of kids to school. I had kids that worked for me, you know, for three, four, five years, and uh, I um, would help them get into college. And I had two sisters, Valerie and uh, Kelly. And I sent both of them to Ohio State to go to school. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I, with all your knowledge in the book, and, and this is, again, a must-read, Cobra is the name of the book. It's going to be available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everything. But i just surprised you didn't go more, get a, work in the front office. You seem to have, like, there's so many times you would, like, see a player, like, you put together this team. You said, let's go get Madlock, and they got Madlock, and Foley, and, and bringing in pitchers in that you saw that you had hard. It, it's just interesting from your perspective to really have this understanding of the, everybody else in the league and knowing what to do and knowing what trades to make. Uh, I thought it was, I thought you'd make a great general manager when you read the book. It seems like you'd be perfect. Well, it's something that I can do. I mean, because I had influence over guys that I played with and played against, and I, I could have parlayed that into being a, a GM. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, and I guess the last thing is that, I mean, it must have been fun writing this book. I mean, it's been a while since you played, but it, I think that it just brought back great memories, and, and it really was just a, an amazing book to read from a baseball player that was in, this, in, a, in, a, in a great time in the 70s, which was like one of the highest, uh, most watched times in baseball history. Yeah, it was. It was the best time for baseball, best time for music. It was just a, a good time to be alive <laughs> in the 70s. Well, and it and your book says that. I mean, you you it's the joy that comes through your book about playing. The fact that you that you you could remember what songs you played almost after every game. You could remember your car. I mean, your memory is amazing, and it was it's so cool about it. It was just such a fun book to read because you had such joy. Like you had so your knees were were beat up, uh, you were injured, but you just you just wanted to play. That's all you want to do. When you see these NBA players that are taking load management, you didn't ever did load management. You just played. That's all you did. Well, yeah, plan was what I was there for. 
Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on Ira Sports. I greatly appreciate it. I, I suggest anyone go out and buy the book Cobra. It's a great read, easy read, uh, interesting book. And uh, thank you so much for coming on Ira on Sports. Thank you. Thank you for plugging the book, too. Thank you. Great stuff there from uh, Dave Parker here, Ira. Um, really interesting interview. Um, so what's your plans for this week? What are you doing? I, I not really not much. I mean, there's a tennis tournament in Washington D.C. that the doll is playing in. I have some interest in that. Maybe catch a baseball game. I'm in New York right now, so maybe Yankees or Mets. But uh, uh, not really not not much on the on the tap. But I certainly watch the Olympics. Uh, this is going to be great over the next few days in terms of the NBA signings and what happens, and seeing how everything from baseball settles down with all these trades and what teams can take advantage of these trades. And football is right around the corner. And hearing it, like you think it's going to be a slow day in football, but then you hear the Carson Wentz injury or the Aaron Rodgers signing and those things. And and, and I think you're going to see some more of that. And, and I guess football just always brings more every single day something happens but i'm um, excited this is again this is august usually slower time in sports but with the olympics going on and with baseball and, and other moves in the front office and, and baseball and basketball uh, it's still a very exciting time we are out of time thanks so much to dave parker he's ira I'm mike let's talk next monday night it's ira on sports